Hi, I'm Paul. I'm George. And I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. And Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us. It is Get Back to the Beatles, as the gentleman said. My name is Chachi LaPrette, here with Beatles professor at Suffolk University, Mr. David Galan. We have a great podcast episode for you today. First, we want to say, you know, if you haven't heard of me, I host New England's Breakfast with the Beatles for over 30 years on three radio stations in three New England states. And uh, Beatles professor Gallant has been teaching the Beatles course at Suffolk University for almost 20 years to freshmen who are coming in each year. It's good to see you. And we're very excited. Actually, I should also say that we are produced by the Boston Podcast Network pod617.com. Mr. David Yaz is our producer. Very exciting show today, Professor. Look at, I have my original Yellow Submarine uh, books, the soft cover and the hard cover uh, that I bought back in, what, 68? And, and, and I will ask our two guests today that even today, Yellow Submarine stuff is being manufactured. Look, at, I have my Lego Yellow Submarine. So it has been a noteworthy film since the day it was released and 50 plus years later here we are and today we have we're welcoming two very special guests two authors that have worked together on uh, two fantastic books the first one uh i have is inside the yellow submarine the making of the beatles animated classic love this book and they just uh, well recently released it's all in the mind inside the yellow submarine volume two two guests dr robert Heronym. See, I get this right all the time before the show. And Heronymous. Heronymous. Yeah. I say it right all the time until we're on the end. Think, uh, think of hippopotamus and you'll get it because that way. <laughs> when I was growing up, that's what I got. You're not <laughs> a, you're a hippopotamus. Well, Chachi. Yes. Chachi, all I, get, I, I, I guess I think of the painting, The Garden of Earthly Delights, Heronymous Bosch. That's how I remember the, the, one of our guest names. Well, if you don't mind, Robert, we'll call you Dr. Robert for the show today. Uh, so we we appreciate that. And he is he's really an interesting man, a historian, an art muralist, a painter. If you go to Baltimore, perhaps his buses are still being driven around, art cars everywhere, and his most famous being the Woodstock bus. You can find all that online. He's a great artist, and he's, you know, his work has been used by the White House and the State Department. He's joined by his co-author, Laura Cortner and her work appears regularly in periodicals like UFO magazine and Fate magazine, as well as Beatle publications. And they've collaborated on other titles, but we're here to talk about the two Yellow Submarine books. Hello to our two guests, Dr. Robert and Laura. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Did you guys go to Beatle Fest this year? No, mm-hmm. Miss Beetlefest. We were busy promoting the Woodstock bus course, at yes. uh, uh, Amelia Island, some very fancy ritzy car show. Volkswagen invited Dr. Bob to show off his Woodstock bus. They're Absolutely. launching their electric microbus yeah. this year for sale. So they were looking for influencers to attract media attention to that. Interesting. Well, it's good to see you both. And thank you for joining us on Get Back to the Beatles. Professor Gallant, let's start with you. What do the students think of Yellow Submarine today? A lot of a lot of the younger generation are introduced to the Beatles as children through Yellow Submarine. Yes. Well, I can I can say from my own experience, Chachi, you know this. I have four daughters, and the two different really generations, all the way from late thirties down to sixteen years old. 
And they've all run through the the yellow submarine gamut, if you will, to uh, being able to memorize scenes, to know the art, to having the posters and the merchandise. And it, it's it's obviously a, a film and a story for all ages. And our our guests today certainly have provided, given to the world, I, not only it, it basically chronicles, encyclopedias of the time, really, really deep studies, and and almost like a, a daily journal of of what went into this film and and what has come out of it as well. But just not just the graphic design, design, the innovation and the animation, but the the storytelling aspect, and that it's it's really such such a shared treasure, kind of like a generational legacy. When we talk about how the Beatles are handed down as a as a generational artifact or or really living thing i think that yellow submarine probably is the best example of that well dr robert and laura what made you listen there's a wide landscape of choices when it comes to the beatles dr robert is it because you're an artist that you chose yellow submarine with the the imagery and certainly it was so far ahead of its time especially the lucy in the sky with diamond segment i mean i'd never seen art like that before is that how it all began for both of you well, kind of. When I bumped into Heinz Edelman, then I realized what was going on because I actually thought that the Beatles did it all by themselves. And so I was so embarrassed many times when I found out that, no, that's not true. And so this is really important because another phone is ringing. That's okay. We'll let it go. Uh, so the thing about the Yellow Submarine, as far as Heinz Edelman goes, he had to fight for every inch of the way to elevate the consciousness of the people who were going to work on it. And that was a very tough job because he had a people, he had people actually who were giving him a rough time at various times about certain things, especially, I can't remember the name of the guy who thought that he was the greatest in the world. Al Jealous. Brodax. Al Brodax. Producer. Oh boy, this producer—he—he <laughs> he was a stealer. He was the kind of person that just took things from people, and if you didn't agree with them, you were going to get wiped out one way or the other. So, the thing that really bothers me is that Heinz Edelman is still very little known by the people that that love the Yellow Submarine. Well, and Laura, you touched on Al Brodax. Listen, it could have it could have turned out to be a disaster. Certainly, the Beatles didn't like the Beatle cartoons, and and I think Heinz was genius like, but Al was he did he realize along the way that this is going to be an art piece and not just a throwaway cartoon? What do you say that? He had his own strengths. I mean, the, the movie wouldn't exist without Al Brodax's chutzpah yeah. and pushing it through and having the original idea to do a feature film in the first place. Mm-hmm. So. You have to give him some credit, but it was Falcon Cheese with the artists uh, who had been the same artists who put out that cartoon feature for the most part. The same people who designed the film uh, said, well, if we're going to do a feature film, we're going to make this something that's worth saving because feature films have much more longevity than Saturday morning cartoons do. So they were the ones that changed the directions of the film against his wishes. That's why they had such a short deadline and such a small budget, because he was expecting them to churn out something easy and simple and slapdash like they had been doing in the factory setting of the cartoon series. Back to your original question, though, I'm a second generation Beatles fan, so I didn't see Yellow Submarine until I started working for Bob as an adult. But I remember him saying he was already an artist, a muralist, an art carpenter, as you said, an art 
teacher when he first saw the submarine in the theater. And he was blown away by the visuals. Yeah. The visuals were something that appealed to everybody. But the I story, thought they were all geniuses. The I mean, story they, itself, I, it has so much resonance really? with the hero's journey and other psychological tropes that well, he's really? also been studying yeah. that he assumed were put there on purpose by the Beatles, which, of course, it took him a long time to figure out that that wasn't true. But once we did, and, and, and you're right, the story of the making of this film is a story in itself. It's, yeah. it's really hard to believe that so much... Oh, stress and uh, contention is behind the scenes of a movie that gives out so much good feeling and love is is the result. And and that's, I think, giving credit to the artists, again, especially the lower tier of artists, oh, not yeah. the ones who were in charge, no. or who, who Brodax was directly involved with. They were the ones who had the, the stress of butting heads, of budget running out and time running out. The people below them, the key animators, the trace and painters, they were having a great time. It's the best year of their lives. They all say that. They all say it that. was this happy yeah. tribal community sailing of freewheeling artists. It was the year of the summer of love in, in London, swinging London. They were right there in the epicenter of all that change. Everything was changing. And that's well, what Heinz talked about. Heinz is the designer of the film, this is the designer of all the characters, everything. Everything. He and, and, talked about Soho, where the animation studios were in Soho in England, in London, how it was just unreal. There were, everybody was so bizarre. There were people with one-man band type things, wearing all these instruments and, and buskers and people with things glued to their foreheads, wandering down the streets, singing Beatles songs. And everybody loved that. It was dancers rushing around and, and strip clubs. It was just a very strange place to be. And that filtered into the, the, the strangeness of the movie. It was the unreality of every day, as, as Heinz put it. I love that quote. That was what they were experiencing. And in volume two, we go into great detail about what they were feeling and experiencing as young people, where they were eating, how they were dressing, how they all had to chop off their skirts or get up with the fashion. Uh, they had to grow beards if they were the gentlemen. So uh, I find that interesting. The first volume, what's much more of a who did what? And it's it's being used, I don't know if in, in your class, Professor, but we just heard from someone else who was an animation student who used volume one in his animation class. So I was very was proud that, to hear that. Was that Texas? Yeah, it was the University Te of Austin. We, that's, we had a couple of other Texans mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah, we are. So you know, that are deeply involved. With. Volume one is all about who did what and how and why. And we really mm -hmm. went to great pains to put it in their voice. So it's a lot of it is in, in the third person because there was so much conflict of... <laughs> Mostly between what Brodak said and what everybody else said, but they were at some points of the story. No, that's not what happened. Yes, that's what happened. So we decided rather than to take sides, we just put them both out there and let you both decide who did what. But it no. is. Before I hand over the mic to to the professor, I'll just add that Heinz was a visionary, right? Because the Beatles weren't involved in any of it until it was mostly done. And Heinz kind of tapped into the mantra of the Beatles with the peace and love, good versus evil. I mean, if he took a different concept, it might not be as important a film as it is and relevant as it is today, right? He he, he just tapped right into the what the Beatles were all about. Yeah, and I also think that whatever um, was being said at the beginning, how responsible Yellow Submarine the movie is for maintaining their longevity as as the Beatles being popular because it it throws them in time it's always groovy always young colorful and it appeals to so many ages so you can introduce young children to the Beatles music very easily with a cartoon that they can watch with their parents who will understand a lot of the puns that the kids won't get as long as they're not too scared by the blue meanies and the loud noise and that for the youngsters but other kids love it they'll sit in front of their house 
We're going to take a minute right now to tell you about another podcast that you should definitely check out. It's called Past Tens, a top 10 time machine. That's right, Chachi. Tens, as in T-E-N-S. Your host, David Yaz, and the chartmeister, Michael Milwolf, travel back in time to revisit the top 10 hits on the Billboard charts on a given day in the past. Sometimes the songs hold up nicely, other times they make you cringe, and that's when comedy and chaos ensue on Past Tens. You know, David, I think the best episode was when they went back to 1964 because the list was packed with Beatles songs and also because those bozos, Milton and Dave, respectively, had the good sense to have us on that episode to school them on all things Beatles. I agree, Chachi. That was a fantastic episode, probably their best. But also check out the episode where I filled in for Milt. It spared the audience the usual allotment of milk fart jokes. You'll have to listen to it to what other types of bodily function jokes are put in. I had no idea that you were a guest host. I feel offended and betrayed, but I have to admit, for a couple of knuckleheads, these guys put on a fantastic show. It's past tens to a top 10 time machine. Find it anywhere you get your podcasts or visit timemachinepod.com. That's timemachinepod.com. At that time, Chachi, it's kind of interesting the way we're hearing how the the art is produced from a moment of crisis, right? There's a deadline. There's tons of people working. And we got the same type of genius, long-standing piece of art from Hard Day's Night. Deadline, quickly done. But because it was through the lens of the Beatles, actually at that point, the Beatles themselves, it, it, it has this longevity that it kind of goes beyond all expectations based upon the conditions of its genesis. We're thinking of the same things happening at that time pressure and having to get everything right in a certain amount of time, everything that went into the moon landing in 1969, right? This sort of thing that transformed the world comes from this pressure cooker. But I I don't know if uh, our authors would agree here that when the late 60s, a lot of college students are studying old film. I mean, feature film, really, Disney was it, right? And then the great work of art was Fantasia and the And the hippies rediscovered that. But then Yellow Submarine gave them their own Fantasia, I think, in a lot of ways, right? And very wide ranging. But one thing I might sort of uh, this may sound like heresy, but I'm going to toss this out to our guests that maybe similar to another classic film, The Wizard of Oz, about a journey that the villains are more interesting than the heroes. And if the Beatles are our heroes, I think they're interesting in Liverpool. When they go and they transform, they go to Pepperland. The villains are much more interesting. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? That's true. I know Heinz Edelman would agree with you. Yes. He, he wanted to blue me to win. That's correct. We have this picture in the book, what he drew for a magazine called Twen. Twen was a very avant-garde German magazine, which is how they find, found Heinz in the first place. He was already designing for them. Okay. And uh, it was sort of, well, it was avant-garde graphic design. It was great, leading edge stuff. And he designed something for them. The title of the piece was Eat the Beatles. Oh, yeah. And it shows, I don't know if you'll be able to see it here, but oh, yeah. Some of the blue meanies, like there's Jeremy being eaten and Ringo's eyes been popped out. It's it's really rather grotesque. It looks lovely and colorful, but this um, is how he felt towards this is what he wanted. He wanted the meanies to win in the end because he loved drawing monsters. And that's why they're so much more interesting, as you say, especially the sea of monsters. That goes on for six plus minutes. Not a Beatles song in sight. That's the longest sequence without Beatles music. Most and powerful. It's, it's so interesting because of all of those interesting monsters that are part human, part animal, part household appliance. Right. I mean, even even back on, on Earth, I think that I think my kids were less frightened by the glove and more frightened by the snapping turtle Turks and the apple bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> and so 
but you know that type of of, of fantastic world. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't have worried so much about uh, too about young children being being too frightened. Uh, not just because of the resolution that the film gives, but I think the colors. You know, they're 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 accustomed to seeing that sort of cartoon. Uh, violence for a purpose in a way, but I'm glad that you you unearthed that. Yes, that there might have been this sort of not so much twisted but sly bit of 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 Edelman wanting sort of the the destruction there of of the Beatles. And when we think of it, my kids were worried that Ringo wasn't going to come back when right. <laughs> when he's uh, captured, and oh, maybe good. that's as close to that type of Beatle destruction as we get in the film. Some ways, yeah, that's an interesting scene where they all are the other three are like, oh well. Well, maybe we should rescue him. What do you think? Hey, Father, I mean, because, what, what kind of treatment is, you know, get rid of them. Well, we don't need them. And but that's they grew. True. I think we, we notice, we note that in the book. That's a, you know, that's a growth scene is Paul. Okay. Let's rescue him. You know, well, it's, it's consistent, isn't it? With the, with the previous two films, it's consistent, right? He's, he's the one who goes astray in a hard day's night. He's the one causing all the trouble and help. Why not just chuck one of your hands in, right? And save us all the trouble. And so it's interesting how my students even notice that, that it's, it's kept consistent that Ringo is sort of the, maybe the curious George of the group who gets him in the trouble and then sort of provides the resolution at the end. So they'll do their cartoon comparisons by using other cartoons and thinking intertextually like that. So it's really is the film is really such a happy hunting ground that way. It certainly is. There's well, some as from volume two. If you've looked through volume two, we certainly have had a happy hunting ground time I, interpreting it from from Bob's symbolical point of view. That's right. I am because the Beatles were my heroes, and then when I found out who was the real hero, it, I I was kind of backed off for a while because I thought, wow. Why? Why is it this way? Karmically, from the standpoint of meaning, because Heinz was the kind of person that put meaning in things and higher consciousness. That where he was pushing. And the Beatles already were there. That I mean, they were from the beginning. And that's what I think is so important in this, because they actually were almost born into believing and knowing and living these things. And they're pretty decent things as the, as you look out for other people and you care for them. Uh, and, and even, well, you can even take it to the point where I would, which is prayer, meditation, and service to other people is really the key of life. If we can do that, if we can get people looking out for each other the way the Beatles have done, they're giving us a good example as to what we should be like. But I don't think think they're being conscious about it they're just like that because they're that's them yeah and and if 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 what if what heinz wanted that the mean the blue meanies win that would still be well relevant today because sometimes with what's going on in the world today i feel like evil is winning over good with everything going on in the world today right laura Noir and Blue Arminis in this very theater right that's what harrison and i think it was in the anthology said something about the music industry is more co-opted by the Blue Meanies than it was back then. Yeah. So it's true. We have to be on the lookout, but we also go out singing all together now. So yeah. the Beatles music has been so inspiring for so many people. It's it's a level of poetry added to music and beat that you can dance to. So it gets into your subconsciousness. But that, that elevation, especially towards the end of the years, that the message of peace and harmony that you were just referring to, obviously is what drives the film 
But the film being designed by Heinz and being written by Eric Siegel and Roger McGough so that it has all these witty puns, it's a work of art. And just like any great work of art, it's open to interpretation. And that's what we have done. A lot of people have done. We see a lot more in it than was intentionally put there, but that doesn't mean it's not relevant. So in our book, we've interpreted why the submarine is yellow. What does it mean to have a yellow submersible in real life? You would probably never have a submersible because mm. they're supposed to be hidden underground unless you're a research vessel. Yellow right. is intelligence. Yep. It's the mind. It's higher consciousness. And also it's wisdom. It's really it's it's gold right there. Gold. Right. So gold. if you attach that to something that's submarine underwater, it's a, and it's a message. It's saying, keep in your mind, your divine mind, the higher mind, the yellow, so that you're not living in the world of emotion. You're not being pulled around by the sea of monsters. Monsters are a symbol of the emotions and not reacting to the matter of the world, that, that you're, being, you're staying in the, in the uh, floating downstream. You're relaxing and staying with that cosmic message. Mm-hmm. So you live in the mind, but you steer clear of illusion. Mm-hmm. Isn't that? All of us who've meditated and looked out for trying to make our relationship with the Almighty sane. I mean, that's that's really quite powerful, just right there. As far as I'm concerned, that's the kind of thing that I think is genius. Yeah, I mean, they have it's in their blood. It's them. Yeah, and and Robert and Laura, was there a kind of a blind genius going on here? First of all, let me give you a couple examples. When they were making Abbey Road, it was supposed to be called Everest. They were going to go and take a photo of them at the foot of Mount Everest for the album cover. They said, we don't want to do that. We'll just cross the street. It became an iconic album cover. Let it be. The big big finale of Let It Be, they were going to be at a, in Tunisia at an amphitheater, or it would be a big Woodstock thing. And then they couldn't decide. They didn't want to travel. So they decided that the finale would be up on the roof. Right. And and it's an these are, these are iconic moments in their history. And here they are, Yellow Submarino. Brian just made a deal because he didn't want to bother the boys. Let's just make a cartoon, uh-huh. and more blind luck. And they thought they were, weren't going to be happy with the film, and then they loved it. And they but Robert did they not want to? Then they wanted to be a part of it, but it was kind of too late. So they just added the little thing on at the at the end, right, Laura and Robert? Yeah, yeah. It was, but it was good to see that. Yeah. John to open his mouth and say, oh. Yeah, I'm glad they, uh, I I love that part at the end. But yes, you're right. Animation requires the dialogue be recorded first. And they had the hardest time deciding on the dialogue. That was what was the biggest issue with this, the filmmakers. But by that time, the Beatles were off to India and making their own film after they came back. So there were all kinds of reasons that they were holding it at arm's length, not just the reason of they thought it might be bad because it was related to Brodex. They were just too busy and going through the death of Brian Epstein at the very beginning of the, the whole production. So everything was working against them being involved more. But as soon as they got to see how it was fleshing out, they loved Heyman's expressive design. It's interesting. There's a corollary here to what you were saying to the, the ending being successful, even though it wasn't what they were intending. With the Yellow Submarine, it's the same way. The very last scene in the movie with uh, It's All Too Much, the George Harrison song, mm-hmm. all the the the... The bluebird of happiness, the blue meanies hat spirals up and up and up, and then they go into this rotating colors. That was all, that's where the, that, that's where the budget ran out. And they ended up doing, they were going to do something very elaborate. That's why the Beatles are wearing black shirts at the end. That's they right. were going to have animation floating all over them. That's why they're black on black. They just ran out of time and money. 
But that other, it was going to work with that scene that comes right before it. They ended up using scotch tape, sticky tape. That's what you see laid behind you with a polarized filter lens floating, strobing behind it. That's what gives the impression of movement. Very watch high that, tech. Watch that carefully. Yeah. Nothing else is moving in that scene because they didn't have time or money. They had to stick it all together based on previous artwork of Pepperlanders and Meanies. And they all just kind of go like this together. And a lot of people say that's their favorite scene. The Andes, partly because the song is so cool. Well, he, who I think is also important in this whole thing is Sir George Martin. Mm -hmm. He is really key. We had the best time with him because when we interviewed him, what was it, five times? Mm -hmm. And he started talking about UFOs and he started talking about life after death, et cetera. I mean, that, that's where real knowledge is. And, when, and we, I'm so glad that we got very close to him and spent time with him. He was when he came to the United States, he'd get in touch with us and we'd go through that material. Oh, it was, was very kind. Yeah, and, and he was, he's enormously kind. I mean, he's just like the Beatles in a certain sense. Maybe he was a teacher to them. Oh, I don't sure. know. I mean, but, but he acted that way. But he really supported George Dunning, the director of the film, yeah. and John Coates, the head of TVC, the, the line producer, in their sparring with Rodax. He always stuck up for the, the artists and, gave them all kinds of compensations and help along the way so that they could get to the music earlier and get this the the music that he composed for the film, all the incidental music, which is quite beautiful, I think. Side B of the, the yeah. record. Oh yes. Yeah. Well the one thing that I think is again part of the 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 happy accidents of history, since they were so occupied with other things they were doing and this project was very much on a back burner for them. It gave us the vehicle though for some of those, what might have been considered by them throwaway songs, it gave those songs voice and a classic feel. I mean, I don't think of, of It's All Too Much, except for Yellow Submarine. It gave us the platform for All Together Now. And, of course, the reissue gave us the platform for Hey Bulldog. Uh, and, of course, some of their classic songs there, the way that they were treated, but... We really wouldn't have known those songs as well, I think, without the film. And even though they would have been considered throwaways, they just worked perfectly there. And it, and it gave them it gave them life. I mean, only the Beatles could say or Beatles fans say that they had throwaway songs. Everybody else would have would have given their 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 limbs to have even one of those. But it, it's a great vehicle for that. For the songs that may have just been consigned to something we may not have gotten until years later of outtakes, but it's just a perfect vehicle for them. Very good point. Yeah. Very interesting perspectives here. I'm learning something right. here. Really, I am. Isn't all it's, too, it's all too much. Wasn't that meant for Pepper? And they decided it wasn't yeah. good enough for Pepper? Mm -hmm. That wasn't good enough for Pepper. Well, uh, coming out of Pepper, George's sardonic bit about Northern songs as well. They didn't know what to do with that. And the legend was that the altogether now was just sort of a warm up tune that they would use, right? To get to get in tune or something. And after Yellow Submarine, once the Muppets get a handle on it, then forget <laughs> it. Everybody's gonna know it. Right. I love that. Well, it's amazing how the film has held up after all these years and both of your books. It's all in the mind, inside the Beatles Yellow Submarine Volume Two. And then you gotta read volume one, which is great because you it's in the the words of all of the participants. And am I am I incorrect when I read that Heinz wanted to quit, but oh. there was no one to resign to, he right? Times. He quit about, what, 20, yeah. 30 times? He would disappear. He'd he go back to Germany. Yeah. He'd still freak out. Why is he? He's not here. He was not going to be controlled. 
really hard on right. him. He was yeah. hired for four weeks and oh. stayed for 11 months. It was really hard. And he worked day and night. Oh, then he had to deal with. She would creep around the studio at night and fix That's everybody's right. artwork. He was, a, such a he was a professor. He was a professor. Mm -hmm. A great artist. And he'd never done animation before. So everybody yeah. was challenged to turn his two-dimensional work and make it move. So they had uh, a fun challenge. And yet it all held together. There's something about chaos theory where if you have the right geniuses and the right elements and the right timing, for some reason, it holds together. Yeah, And the merchandising today, as I said at the beginning, it, it's just amazing how it's everywhere still. Made them a lot of money. Made them a lot of money. We're talking to Dr. Robert Heron. I call him Dr. Robert and Laura Kortner. Inside the Yellow Submarine, the making of the Beatles animated classic, and then volume two, it's all in the mind. Inside the Beatles Yellow Submarine, volume two. Go to yellowsubmarinebook.com for all the information. If you want to send an email to any either of our guests here, info at yellowsubmarinebook.com, and you can find them on Facebook at Yellow Submarine Book. Professor, any final uh, words for our two guests? It's it's so much. Uh, the Yellow Submarine still is an amazing film, and people love it to this day. Anything you want to say as we close? Well, I would hope that our our listeners, if they're able to get their hands on either volume, it, it is it does take commitment to try and swim through all of it. Um, I haven't necessarily covered every single chapter and verse, but. There are some gems there, and I, I'm going to – my great takeaways are the, the scotch tape as as – talk about chaos theory, literally something that's holding something together toward the end of the film. And uh, it, that's, that's, that's just a great little detail that the mundane, like you're saying, Chachi, why go to Everest? Let's walk across the street. So assault it, folks. Let's just use the scotch tape. <laughs> And thank you for mentioning our website, yellowsubmarinebook.com. I just want to say you can get it on Amazon and all the other places, order it from bookstores, but you won't get bonus prizes unless you order from oh, our website. Oh, that's right. They have this and wonderful bonus market, a little stuffed toys and T-shirts. And yeah. I will say, we've, we've talked before, and you guys look the same. You haven't changed a bit since the last time we talked. It's good no. to see you both healthy and out there still, well, uh, still doing it. I'm an old man, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Stop it, Dr. Robert. We love you both. 79. Thank you for joining us. What's that? I'm 79 and never thought I'd live to be 50. Keep going. Look, if you're an artist, you know how you don't eat? You know the stress that you go through with other people all of the time? Mm -hmm. And the, the possibility of you're losing your life in the slums? I mean, that's, the, that's what artists love to do. Yeah. Well, you are a brilliant artist, Laura. Fantastic everything you do. Both of you as a team is really amazing. And the work you've done, we sincerely appreciate it. Yellow Submarine is a very important film to every Beatle fan and future Beatle fans for generations. You know, it's going to go on, you know, because there'll always be good versus evil. And we thank you both for joining us on our Get Back to the Beatles show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. All together. Uh, we, we did too. And <laughs> thank you for joining us on Get Back to the Beatles. You can find this uh, episode and as well as other episodes and other shows at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. David Yes, producer, Beatles professor David Gallant from Suffolk University. And of course, Dr. Robert and Laura Cortner. Thank you for joining us today. Be well, you guys. Look forward to it. Thank you. Talk, talk soon. Make sure to check.
for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network.